It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Woodman Corner, the West Bromwich Albion podcast that gets behind the scenes at the club. Uh, This is a special edition because uh, I think you probably already know that Tony Pulis, the Albion manager, has now been sacked. So we're going to take a look at what's next for the club, who could be coming in. We do that in several ways. I'm sat here now with Matt Kendrick, who's a football editor of the Birmingham Mail, so knows a thing or two about the game. We'll chat chat through the the bookies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, let's let's see how that pans out. We'll chat through what the bookies are saying and uh, and have a look at assess the the possible candidates. I've also spoken to Paul Seward, the Albion reporter, about who he might bring in and. just, just to give you a clue as to one of the people who are favourites, I've spoken to the Belfast Live editor about what he thinks about uh, Michael O'Neill. But uh, starting off with Matt now, so uh, Pulis is gone. What happens now? It's it's a big question. Isn't it? If, if you listen to any of the national pundits over the the, the uh, last I don't know six months, they'd have you believe that that life doesn't go on now that Tony Pulis has gone. You know how yeah, could you, truth. how could you possibly cope without him now? I think it's the obvious, but it's such a crucial appointment for Albion, you know, in two senses really. Obviously, looking over their shoulders, that Premier League, you know, kind of drop zone is far too close for comfort now. They need somebody who's going to come in, have an instant impact, and win football matches. That's a given when you're recruiting a new manager. The second thing, I think they need to repair some of the damage with the fan base, really, because I think the way it's been allowed to develop back end of last season, start of this season, it's almost as if it's you know, kind of, this is what you've got, be happy with it, you know, and I think as a football fan, you need more than that, you need to know that you're going to go on a Saturday afternoon, at least with an expectation of seeing goals. I think that's a, that's a really, really good point, and I, I would use the example of West Ham this weekend, uh, in that they've brought in a manager that's already unpopular with the fans, and, and you start to kind of, it, it, the ball starts rolling, you start going downhill and so on, and Al- at Albion you've got a, uh, a club that's not particularly happy at the moment, I think if you were to bring in a manager that, that that galvanises the fan against the fans against the club already. You're kind of creating a problem. Um, so yeah, you've got to, they're going to, they've got to bring someone in that can, in the short term, sort sort the form around the form out and turn it round. But in the longer term, someone that the fans aren't going to absolutely hate. That's not necessarily easy when you look at the uh, some of the people who are flying around. They seem to be selecting from quite a narrow field, don't they? You know, we've already been bombarded with emails from various bookmakers um, yeah. talking about the runners and riders, and you're thinking. You know, okay, we'll keep looking down the list. Surely, 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 there's going to be somebody there. Um, I mean, I know we're going to discuss this in greater detail in a while, but Derek McInnes seems to be the one that there's, a, there's an air of mystery about him because you know he's, he's been managing in Scotland. I know he's tried it down here before and it didn't quite go according to plan, but he could, in terms of having the kind of gravitas and the feel-good factor with the West Bromwich Albion fans, I think he could tick that box. Could he be parachuted straight into the Premier League and get a squad that's down on its luck back up and running? I don't know. 
What I'll say about that, my concern with anyone who's ever played for the club before is that if, you're giving, if we are giving one ounce of credit to someone because they were a good footballer for us, that would make them a good manager for us. That's something that I'd, uh, I'd be concerned about. If, if McInnes has justified his uh, position at Albion by virtue of his performance in Scotland, which has been good, then that's fine. But uh, I tend to think it's not so much that whole that don't go back thing so much as let's not give anyone any credit for having been a footballer because this is about being a football manager which is an entirely different thing if you know what I mean yeah you need greater credentials than just sentimental you know yeah. sentimental value or you know worth towards the the, the, the fan base um and what what other names? What other names leap out well, for you? Really, I mean, Megson's Megson's the the favourite. You know, I remember when 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 Megson came back a couple of months ago, and obviously everybody was, well, you know, it's kind of a, a nostalgia fest, wasn't it? Remembering the, the the great impact that he'd had on the club. Is he now guilty by association? I can tell you, for, I mean, it, it, it'd be an absolute recipe for destruction, really, if Albion put him in longer term. Because I mean, even if it, in the short term he turned things around, the second you know they start to you know. Going to games, not not really trying to score and so on. It's just going to be he's just going to be tarred by the same brush as Pulis. Uh, I'll throw a name in there as it happens. I've just gone through the Paddy Power um, uh, odds, and he, this name isn't on there. But the name I would probably most be happy with is Ronald Koeman, who I think I'm not sure he'd take the Albion job. I think it might be maybe an Albion fan asking too much, but um, someone who's already stabilised a Premier League club, who knows a bit about the league, who plays a bit of football. Um, Again, it might be a, a distant dream and it might be a danger in the short term in that this is a relegation battle for the first season and he isn't a firefighter. But as someone who might stabilise the club longer term, I'd go for him. As an, as an outside um, voice, does that sound plausible? I don't see why it shouldn't sound plausible, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, are we talking about the Albion finish last season, 10th? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's a top 10 Premier League club, albeit you know, in, in, a bit in, of a, in a bit of a dip at the moment. <laughs> well, in the black country, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure whether you know there's a Dunalm down the road at Albury or the Toys R Us you know it's got a lot to commend you from that part of the world myself um, why not why not go for him I don't think Ronald Koeman suddenly becomes a, a bad manager overnight mm-hmm. you know it's almost as if because it's failed somewhere where else let's let's cast him cast him aside I think if Albion you know have got that amb- ambition they've got to at least kind of put a call into to Koeman's agents and said you know I know you expected six months gardening leave but you know as <laughs> That's two weeks done it for you. You know, you're ready for the challenge. Why not? Again, you look at the, the list of names that are there, and you know, Michael O'Neill, Martin O'Neill, Sam Allardyce. You know, I think Gary Lineker rather flippantly said uh, on Match of the Day the other night, you might as well sack, sack Tony Pulis and then bring Tony Pulis in um, to fight fires. And I think you probably are, if you're going down the route of somebody like Sam Allardyce, you probably are doing that. <laughs> I think that's the crux of it now, isn't it? It's a choice between... I mean, there is a firefighting job to do. What Albion want to do is find a firefighter who can, who can have some longevity, who can who you can start next season with kind of thing. It's a it's a, an interesting one because, you know, Albion fans probably won't thank me for this, but they kind of need somebody to have the impact that Tim Sherwood had <laughs> at Villa a couple of years ago. That short, sharp shock got them to, to safety. But Villa never really was a long-term project for Tim Sherwood, so... That's the problem, in a way. If you do bring somebody in just to give you that real kind of impetus and that real quick boost, you're kind of on a bound to give them, yeah, <laughs> give them the job, and that might not necessarily be what's best for the long-term health of the club. Yeah, I think that's it. That's exactly. It. And the, the thing you can't get away from is this is a relegation battle. So, so uh, the, the word is that Adrian Charles has already had his say on this, and uh, you're the perfect person to ask this because uh, you're Martin O'Neill's favourite person, <laughs> as I understand it. Um, so, 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 yeah, Adrian Charles has thrown his hat in the ring and says that you've quite fancied a Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane double act at the Albion. You uh, you covered all of Martin O'Neill's at stay at, at Aston Villa. Would that be a good idea? I think it'd be brilliant for our audience, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get pl- plenty of interesting stories from there. 
I don't know. Martin O'Neill's an interesting one. I think Martin O'Neill, when he was at Villa, had probably a similar issue to what Albion. Albion have been Premier League, haven't they? As yeah. well as being Pulist, they've been Premier League. Leicester's not going to happen again, ever. Yep. So what do you do? If you're a club of Albion's, Albion's size and means and stature, what do you do? Where do you, where do you try and get to? Now, O'Neill had that difficulty kicking Villa on when all sorts of money was being thrown at him. Now, when he's having to scrap further down, down the league, as he showed at Sunderland, it wasn't necessarily his forte. You know, has he still got the energy to, to, to come in and do a job? Possibly so, but... If you you know we spoke about Ronald Koeman, who Ronald Koeman or Martin O'Neill? Yeah, I mean my concern about O'Neill is he's a manager whose career is going in the wrong direction now. You know he, he certainly was an ex-manager. And he had three. You know you go from Wickham, uh, Leicester, Villa. Is that the is that the order? He, he, I, I would say all of those are successes. Has he had a success since? You know his, his spell at Sunderland. Would you, would we call Ireland a success? I'm not. Uh, you know I, I'd get on board if he were to come in, but. What is it? What is it we'll be getting? I think at the moment, what, what, what condition are these goods in? Exactly. You know, it's, I was going to say people are available. Martin O'Neill is not strictly available. People are in particularly jobs or, or potentially gettable mm-hmm. for a reason. Yes. Yes. Aren't they? Yeah. You know, I think the big thing about Albion is I do think they need to be brave enough to go and get somebody who's in a job mm-hmm. if needs be. Yeah. Because you know, it would be more straightforward to go for somebody who's out of work. There's less issues with compensation, but. People are out of work for a reason. Yeah, you know, it's. I don't know. It, it's. I didn't see this coming in the summer. No, you, know, you see, Albion of you know pragmatic in the boardroom, pragmatic you know in the, in the dugout, pragmatic on the pitch, but they've almost kind of the board have tried to kind of shake that up a little bit by investing. Yeah, a little bit more, which brings a pressure with it, I guess. Yeah, and it's kind of. You know, so do they think? Oh, well, that 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 was our bit of flair. That little late joke, that li- little late August flurry was our bit of flair. And look how that's gone. So you know, do they revert to yeah. type and be even more? Meanwhile, cautious? Gary Megson's there. Cool. Well, <laughs> you know, you know, strange things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. The um, the, the another name you you, you, man- you mentioned managers are out of work. Another name that could get thrown into it, Nigel Pearson. Uh, what, what do you think about him? Oh, again, you know, he's got he's got a. The Albion background, you know, he can. Uh, there'd be players there who, who, who played. Yeah. When he was there, weren't they? Yeah. Some, Brunt, some Morrison, of the kind so. of, you know, the the older guard there. Um, it just doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. It just doesn't excite me. No, I think I, I'd agree. I mean, I think a manager who's who's had who's tried and failed at a lower la- level, uh, you don't necessarily. You, again, it comes back to that point before, but you don't want to, you don't want to work, you don't want to throw fuel on the fire. In the same way as West Ham have brought in a manager who, on the face of it, seemed to fail at a slightly lower level than West Ham were. I think that that would be the concern with Nigel Pearson. I think Pearson is obviously a capable bloke, um, so you, you kind of wouldn't rule it out. And, and I guess he's, there's no one left in the hierarchy for him to fall out with. But yeah, you'd like to think that pro- they might be aiming higher before then. I, t- I, I think you know, and it's not always this easy because you have to pick from what's in front of you. But I think you somehow need to get somebody who's on the right stage of their yes their curve, if you like. They're, they're up, up, upwardly mobile, and you know, and this is this is left field, and he would be a massive gamble. But Grand Potter, <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm not sure he's I'm not sure he'd even be in the in the bookies odds. But <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? Because somebody who's going to excite, somebody who's going to bring something different. But can you do that when you're so deep 
yeah. in trouble at there's, there's two things to think about that. Firstly, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It just reminds me of that. It, it, so bringing someone in from Scandinavia who's won practically every game they've ever won into a failing cho- uh, Premier League side and he sometimes didn't win it just all works though, doesn't yeah, that's it? right yeah. sometimes there's, there's a chemical reaction and yeah. it just works and he's clearly clearly kind of knows yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting one to throw in there um, one, someone we haven't talked about like, so I'll talk in a bit to uh, to the editor of Belfast Live about this is Michael O'Neill um, what do you reckon about him? again you know it's kind of it's the untried and untested again he had to work with half the half the Albion dressing room as well I, if I was an Albion fan, I wouldn't be particularly enamoured by no. by the prospect of that. Uh, I think you know, wasn't he nailed on to to get the Scotland job? That's right. He lives in, in Scotland and in, and seems in, keen in the last week. You know, it's, this this sounds really horrible now, but anybody <laughs> do you want to be associated? Yeah, should you anybody be, who's nailed on to get the Scotland job? Should you be picking from the same? You know, I think because when, when you think about the relative balance of where international managers fall in, as compared to club managers. The Wales manager has left his job as Wales manager, which is what about the twentieth club in internationally yeah. to go to the team at the bottom, bottom of the championship. championship. Yeah, on that basis, should we be comp- competing with Scotland? Yeah, I think I, I know what you mean. It's, it's hard to, to make that balance because because they aren't the same markets. But that would suggest that um, if someone's going to be the Scotland manager, they probably aren't being they probably aren't getting Premier League offers, are they? I think it's um, as, as well. Obviously, you know the agenda moves on really quickly you know but I think it's just worth a little a little chatter about Tony Pulis yeah as well to be honest because he's been there what nearly is it three would it be his third year anniversary in January he's been a writer that long (laughs) the writing was on the wall you know I think if you anybody who heard his pre-match press conference let alone his post-match press conference you know he'd almost kind of been on the phone to Opta to, to you know, can you can you give me my best stats, please? <laughs> I've, got, I've got an argument. I'm trying to settle something with a mate. Actually, if you look at the accuracy of those stats, he probably could have done with a call to Opter. Actually, <laughs> well, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not sure exactly uh, where, where he did source those stats from. But he came out fighting. You know, it was self-preservation even yeah. before his job had gone. Um, it's just I don't know. I, don't, I think. You, you, it's easy to paint Pulis as the, this dinosaur who's kind of been a bad thing for West Bromwich Albion. I think, you know, certainly in that first six months when he came in, when there'd been some bad recruitment the, the summer before, hadn't they? Alan yep. Irving, the world's nicest and best coach potentially, but as a manager, just, just not up to the job. Pulis was the right man then, but again, it's when you bring that man in for a short, sharp shock... You kind of stuck with him then. No, I, I think you're. I think you're absolutely. And I, I think it's probably fortunate that, that I'm the Albion fan that's on this podcast because I am a Tony Pulis um, advocate. I'm glad. I, I think now is the right time for him to go. But I think I, I, I haven't got such a short memory that I don't forget. Yeah, you know, the the Samaras, Pocinioli, uh, Davidson era that he inherited and that were unquestionably being relegated and and were unquestionably not really set to come back as well so I think we've got a lot to thank Tony Pulis for I think when we look back um, across the uh, across this era of good and bad um, managerial appointments I think Alan Irvine will definitely be a bad one and I think Tony Pulis will definitely be a good one my hope is that the next one's a good one because you know when you're in the Premier League you don't, you don't get afforded many bad managerial choices but I think Tony Pulis leaves West Bromwich Albion in a far better state than he found it. You know, it, he's actually started recruiting the odd fullback. Um, so, yeah, so, can the, you imagine the squad that he's got now yeah. playing against the squad that he inherited? 
okay, it'd still be a fairly tight. <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> Back to the one game. No, I think they'd win it with a set piece in the last two. Yeah, yeah. to be honest. Possibly. Uh, depends if, it depends if we're playing the old Gareth McCauley. Yeah. Jason Davidson would lose um, Rodriguez <laughs> yeah. for the goal. Uh, you'd, you'd like to think so. So no, I think I think there's a lot to a lot to thank Pulis for, but I think managers have their eras, and I think Pulis has had his. My hope is that he doesn't take the club down with it. It's early early days in the season, but if they get this appointment wrong. We are in a relegation scrap, and they have to get this right, really. Yeah, it was interesting. Pulis post match an interview he gave with Pat Murphy on Five Live, and it was it was great listening because it all started off quite pally pally, you know, kind of gives your thoughts on that one totally. Yeah, and then Pat, as as Pat is kind of prone to do, delivered one because I think I think John Williams had been in the in the dressing room. Yeah. Um, Pulis had confirmed and Pat said well what did he say then and like Pulis gets mega yeah mega, that's none of your business and it was just you can see that tell me I'm listening I'm not, not, not making light of it because Tony Pulis was under a lot of pressure towards him can't be nice when first the away fans at Huddersfield and then the, the Albion fans that have remained in the ground for the final stage of that Chelsea game you can't be nice when everybody's kind of turning on you yeah. Um, but yeah there the, were just the signs there you know the, in his in his body language in the, the words he's used from saying oh yeah you know I've got great support blah 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 to you'll have to ask the chairman you know it's a clear sign that things were slipping away and has been evidenced by today's uh, today's news I think he's uh, I think his legacy will serve him better you know I, th- I think the, this next kind of 24 hours on social media will pass by and then the Tony Pulis legacy will be decided then on but I think it probably be a rather more positive one um, anyway Matt thank you for that let's let's move on now we'll, we'll have a chat with Paul Seward who's been covering Albion across uh, Pulis's whole regime to see what he thinks about it okay so I'm, uh, I'm with Paul Seward who's been um, reporting on Tony Pulis's tenure for all the time uh, that he's been here at West Bromwich Albion so uh yeah, Paul, give us your uh, your reaction to the sacking. Yeah, it's two wins in 21 games, some very aimless performances. It's it's no great surprise or shock. Um, and I think there was a real air of resignation after the Chelsea defeat. Uh, you could see that the, the fight has kind of drained from the man almost. Um, you know, he was defiant before the game, but he found it very hard to uh, to defend his his position really after that uh, drubbing and you know four straight defeat. It's uh, it's relegation form all over, and, and you just cannot blame the board for acting in this way. Obviously, it's ended on quite a low ebb, but but probably the story of Tony Pulis, his legacy at the club, will, will probably tell a different story. I mean, how would you look back over the Tony Pulis era? Well, I hope. Obviously, he's had critics for for a number of weeks now, um, and and some fans were never really taken to him from the start. But I hope his achievements in those early the early few months and, and, and years will be reflected on fondly really by Albion fans because Alan Irvine was, was definitely taking the club down that's how it felt uh, he studied the ship um, and you know enjoyed a decent cup run under him in that first season and a 10th place finish last year but they just they just haven't kicked on and uh, it's especially disappointing after such a promising transfer window as well over the summer do you uh, do you sympathise with Albion fans? Obviously, I mean, on social media, it's it's kind of incessant. But obviously, you've watched just as much of it as they have. Um, yeah, from from in terms of someone who's watched a lot of the album, what's it been like? <laughs> uh, it's it, it's been poor, really, really poor um, the last few weeks. And I think uh, the turning point for a lot of fans, and, and maybe me personally, was was the Southampton game. And I'll tell you why, because. And before that match, Tony Pulis had identified just how vulnerable Southampton were at home. He knew there was a chink in their armour. He knew how nervous they were in front of the home fans. 
and made no effort to uh, to get Albion on the front foot in that game and, and ultimately it was a negative performance and, and one that uh, heralded a defeat and I think the nature of that performance and defeat was was uh, was hugely significant really for, for me and for a lot of fans. What do you um, what do you think he's leaving now? I mean, I, I guess in kind of the, in terms of the short term this season, what kind of state are Albion in? Is this absolute relegation, uh, you know, relegation battle, complete certainty, or, or what do you think? Someone's coming in now. What what hope can Albion fans have for this season? Any manager who comes into the post now faces a relegation battle. There is no other way of dressing it up. You know, the one point and one place above the bottom three. Um, thankfully for Albion, it does appear that there could be three teams worse than them um, in this season's edition of the, of the Premier League. But this is very much and has to be seen as a relegation fight for whoever comes in. Um, and I think it, it's it's a big, big job for anyone who takes it on. There's some quality players at the club, um, probably the best squad uh, in a number of seasons, um, but it's just getting the best out of them and, and just finding uh, a, a, a direction for them. It's just been so clueless, really, over the last few weeks. And um, and, and finally, I guess that what, what it all really moves on to now is who's the next man slash woman if you count it but, but uh, the next incumbent of um, of the role at the Albion who would you go for? I like Derek McInnes I think the fans he's the fans favourite for the post um, Aberdeen obviously gave Sunderland permission to speak to him over the summer before he, he stayed put I think the lure of, uh, of West Brom as a Premier League club um, but also one that he was uh, a great servant of um, and is fondly remembered by fans. Uh, it's, that's a very different pull to Sunderland, and I think um, he is the one that kind of emerges emerges for me. I did. I like Nigel Pearson, another manager with uh, Albion connections. Um, but I think you know McInnes is, is probably the one. Ronald Koeman, I think, is a lot of is a popular choice. Would be a popular choice among Albion fans, but. Fresh off uh, quite a big failure with Everton, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if he's the right man for the job and, and whether or not he would even take it anyway. Okay, so it'd be Derek McInnes for uh, West Bromwich Albion correspondent Paul Sewitt. He seems like a fairly common sense choice, and it's quite low down for many of the bookies. Um, Paddy Power actually made Michael O'Neill, who is the manager of the recently departed manager of Northern Ireland, uh, the, as the favourite. So what I thought I'd do is speak to the editor of the Be- of Belfast Live, Chris Sherrod, who watches all the Northern Ireland games. So we'll see what he has to say about that. So Chris, what would Albion be getting if uh, if if Michael became the next Albion manager? I think if, if he was to take the job, Graving would be you'd be getting a very good, a very good manager. But what importantly, not your average football manager. Michael's obviously very talented as a as a coach. He's got a degree. He's you know he's went and he's had a life as well outside of football. So you know he's he's very well rounded man and. Um, you know, in terms of the football side of things, he's, he's, what he's done at Northern Ireland is, has built an excellent team, but one that's played to its own strengths. We found that he, he was managing a Shamrock Rovers in the League of Ireland previous to that, and he, he achieved extraordinary things with them, um, taking them into Europe and the Champions League, winning games in the Champions League. Um, so he's got, you know, his, his pedigree at this level has been excellent. Um, and he, he, as I say, he's built a team that's capable of of playing to its own strengths 
is probably the the and that's that's not to denigrate what he's done. That is actually you know his biggest strength is knowing where he can build and what you know where where the strengths are in the team that he's putting together. So what what I think first and foremost to be getting is a very good football coach and a very well-rounded individual as well. What about the nature of the football? Obviously, there's a certain amount of pressure bouncing out from Tony Pulis, who, who was, I think anyone would say was it was you know, very negative football that Albion fans have seen. I think there'd be a bit of pressure on the next manager to show a transition from that. What sort of football do Michael O'Neill teams play? Yeah, I think he picked up box, actually. I think he, what he's done with Northern Ireland is... Uh, take us from you know we would have played one up front and and you know not so much lumped it but try and get it to the to to the front man as quickly as possible. Um, but what he's done is actually he's built uh, around his strengths. So one of our biggest strengths in the Northern Ireland team is Stephen Davis, the captain, who's obviously one of our two Premier League players at Southampton, and he's he, a lot of the play goes through him. So by that very fact, you know the football is very good. Um, because it's going through midfield and he's not afraid to build from the back as well and our defenders uh, which you have there Johnny Evans and Gareth McCullough you know certainly in Johnny's case they're comfortable with the ball at defeat and he encourages that he encourages you know Johnny to get the ball or the fullbacks to get the ball and then build it through Stephen Davis in midfield and then another young fellow like Oliver Norwood in midfield who's comfortable with the ball and then we build to the front so you know there's a definite progression through the side and the football the football's good to watch Obviously, he has to cut his cloth accordingly to the opposition. So, when we played Germany, for example, recently, it was maybe more structured defensively. But even that, you know, he wasn't afraid to to try and get the ball in wide spaces and and uh, look to get forward. Um, so, I think I think the football is, you know, it's it would certainly from looking from an outsider's point of view, it would certainly be an improvement on what Tony Pulis's sides traditionally serve up. And uh, just finally, while I've got a, a, an ardent Northern Irish fan on, it'd just be interesting to know, obviously, we, we, the, the three of your back four is, is, are accumulated from the Albion team. Now, uh, how are these players, Johnny Evans, Gareth McCauley and Chris Brunel, are they seen amongst um, Northern Irish fans now, as footballers and sort of people in general? Are, are they, are they um, popular boys? Oh, very popular, yeah. Well, if you, if you look at it, then, you know, we don't have a great deal of Premier League footballers in the squad, and we've, we've managed to, you know, achieve um, excellent things despite that. But when we do have Premier League footballers, then we have to build our team around, and that's exactly what Michael's done. And he's, you know, if you throw Johnny, Chris, and Garth in there, then superb servants to the Northern Ireland team and Garth Garth McCauley I don't know how you know how he keeps doing it I remember watching him in the Irish League and he, was, he already looked like an old man back in those days he's still <laughs> he's still doing the business he's still you know a gold set as well uh, Johnny's obviously probably our most valuable player um, you know what he's done and you know I'd like to think that we're getting another good campaign out of him as well because there's plenty of, le- there's plenty of miles still in his legs and and Chris, you know, I think there was, there was a lot of sympathy. Obviously, Chris missed the Euro 2016 uh, uh, campaign to that terrible injury that he picked up, and there's a lot of sympathy as a result of that. And I think, uh, you know, speaking to people after we just missed Mali missed out in the playoffs for the World Cup uh, last week, you know, a lot of the sympathy was directed in, you know, Chris Dunn's direction, given that, you know, I think there was a sense that everybody wanted to see him at a major tournament, given that he's missed out. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely held in very high esteem over here, as you can imagine. I'm glad to hear that. I just, it just, I, the reason I ask, I just so happens that you know, three of the kind of 
I'm almost the best human beings in the squad at the moment. All happen to be Northern Irish. So, so I can say, say as an Albion fan, we'd uh, we'd take a few more of uh, of your lot in our side. They're, uh, well, they're, they're it would be great because you know, as I say, we don't have too many playing in the Premier League, so the more that we can get, the better. So, you know, maybe maybe Michael would look and he would obviously know the players coming through different underage groups as well. So, you know, if he was to take over, then it, would, it, it can only help from an online point of view, I'd imagine. Absolutely, um, Chris. That's great. We uh, we really appreciate your time. Thank you for that. No problem, Graham. OK, so there's a few names to throw about with. I suspect there's going to be an awful lot more thrown into the mix, so we'll take a look at maybe more breakout podcasts as the um, upshot of the next well, West Bromwich Albion head coach comes to pass. Um, in the meantime, keep an eye out for this Thursday. We'll be back with uh, more Albion players of the past telling silly stories from the, de- from the dressing room. And thank you for joining us.